It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. On today's show, a total flop from the Hawks in Indiana, losing by a final score that included a 150 from the Pacers. Yes, 150 and a 34-point margin of defeat. Touch on all of what transpired in this game, what it all means, and much more, and all that is on the way. You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team, every day. Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 1625 of the Locked On Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Rowland, coming to you on a Friday evening here in early January. And today's show is brought to you by LinkedIn Jobs, which helps you find the most qualified candidates you want to talk to and helps you to do it faster. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash LockedOnMBA. Terms and conditions apply. Also, at the top of the podcast, I should encourage you to make us your first listen each and every day. Please check us out on your audio platforms, which is places like Spotify and Apple, and also on YouTube on the video side. And I'll talk a lot about what became a very, very ugly loss for the Hawks on this Friday evening in Indiana. 150, yes, 150 to 116 against the Pacers. I should, though, plug at the top of the show. I did a bonus kind of trade-focused episode earlier today, actually, on Friday afternoon. I'll have some more on that front at the end of this podcast on some trade stuff at the end of this particular show that broke actually after I recorded that show, but most of it is still up applicable right now and uh, sort of a nice diversion, I would say, from what became a terrible loss from the Hawks on this Friday evening. But check that out. I definitely would be grateful if you would listen to that show and give us some feedback, etc., on that podcast. But most of today's show, at least tonight's show, will be focused on what became, again, a 150-116 loss against the Pacers. The Hawks actually won two games in a row coming in, and that streak is, of course, long gone now. The Pacers have now won six in a row. They are red hot at this moment, which is certainly worth keeping in mind. This is a rematch of the kind of infamous basketball on the moon game that was played earlier this year in Atlanta, where both teams had 150 or more. It was a wild performance. And this game, it was a two-way loss, especially defensively. Um, at the outset, the Hawks just could not score, and that kind of dug a hole that they were unable to get out of. And then defensively, it just was brutal the entire way. At one point, the Pacers made 15 consecutive shots in this game. Atlanta was down by as many as 38 points. It was just not competitive for the vast majority of the night. Um, the Hawks were actually underdogs, but not by a lot, according to FanDuel. Two and a half points in this game. Clearly, they did not cover that spread. Of note, as Bob Rathman even got into on the broadcast on Bally, this is the highest over-under point total in the history of the NBA tonight, 262, and it actually still went over because the Hawks could, couldn't get a stop the entire game. So... Broadly speaking, we'll talk defense first, and it was essentially a total collapse from the defense. As we'll talk about later on again, offensively it wasn't helping things so they couldn't make a shot in the first quarter and a half or so of this game, but the entire way through the defense was, was just terrible. It really was. I'm going to read you a tweet from Caitlin Cooper, actually, who's one of the smartest people that I know covering basketball anywhere, and she's been on this podcast before. Caitlin it covers the Pacers and is an expert on the Pacers, and she tweeted this during the game. Quote, I've watched a lot of bad defense in covering the Pacers this season. I'm not sure any has been as bad as that currently be, being played by the Hawks. End quote. So, I know it's only one tweet, but I think that was right. I mean, the Hawks were just terrible defensively in this game. There's no way around it. And yes, the Pacers are number one in the league in offense. They're number one in shooting. They're number one in assists. All that is worth keeping in mind. They didn't give up 152, the worst team in the league. But it was bad even when you adjust for all that on this night. They gave up 150. They gave up about a 145-ish 
offensive rating in the competitive portion of this game. The Pacers shot 64% from the field, 49% from three, and those numbers actually came down in garbage time. It was 70% shooting deep into the second half of this game. Indiana had 50 assists. One more time. Indiana had 50 assists. Just for reference, a good team in the NBA in assists, above average, averages like 25. So they doubled that. The, the Pacers lead the league this year. They average about 31. 50 is historically absurd, like top 10 of all time, kind of absurd. So, yeah, it was uh, it was a layup line. Uh, they gave up cuts. They gave up, you know, they couldn't, they couldn't contain the ball on the perimeter. They gave up open threes. And, yeah, Indiana made some tough shots, too. That's kind of part of the deal when you give up this kind of shooting performance. But, man, it was really bad the entire game. And what I would just, again, just kind of say plainly, the Hawks took nothing away. And when things go badly for the Hawks defensively, that's kind of how it feels. Like, some teams have, like, notable strengths defensively. The Hawks don't really have that necessarily. But in this game, there was no plan A even. Like, they were, they were not taking anything away from the Pacers and Indiana being a good offensive team. Like, they did whatever they wanted to. Tyrese Halliburton, who is a potential first, second-team All-NBA player, took six shots for the Pacers. And, yes, he's a pass-first player in a lot of ways, but he took six shots. Want to know why? He didn't have to shoot. He had 18 assists in 25 minutes. It was just that easy from the Pacers in this game. Uh, they had 10 guys with at least eight points. That's insane. That doesn't ever happen. And, yeah, they went deep into their bench, but everyone who played for Indiana had a good game, basically, in this game. So... I won't keep going on the defense. It was as bad as the numbers indicate, is what I would say. Offensively, they had about a 110 offensive rating by the end of the game. It was worse than that. DeJounte Murray, I will give a hat tip too. He was 13 of 19 from the floor for 30 points in this game. He was the one guy who made shots for Atlanta on this night. The rest of the team was 27 of 80 from the field, which is about 33%. And that includes about seven full minutes of garbage time where guys like Lundy and Griffin and Bruno made some shots. So actually it was worse than that until the very end of the game, and those points were utterly meaningless in this contest. The trio of Trey Young, Bogdanovich, and Sadiq Bey, so three of their top four or five shooters, combined to go 9 of 39 from the field, which is 23%, and 3 of 26 from three in this game. And again, they were not alone. It was not just those three guys, but those three guys are high-volume shooters. They couldn't make a shot. The only guy who took more than four attempts in this game that shot 50% or higher was DeJounte. Jalen was 5 of 11. He was respectable um, in this game. You know, Bruno, Okongwu, those guys like made one, one of one, two of two. But other than, other than DeJounte Murray, no one can make a shot in this entire game. And the Hawks ended up shooting 20% from three in the game. Uh, and, sorry, in the first three quarters. Garbage time had that rise up a little bit, but it was just not good at all. The only bright spot on offense was 33 throw attempts. That's pretty good. Um, offensive rebounding-wise, it was okay, but that's kind of about it. And... I will kind of go to my grave, so to speak, on this one. Defensively, it was terrible, as I just talked about a lot. I think part of the issue in this game is the Hawks just could not make a shot in the first quarter and a half, and maybe they, they let go of the rope a little bit. Now, that's not acceptable. You certainly don't want to encourage that behavior, but it felt like the Hawks just kind of knew that once they dug that hole, it was kind of over. And I get that on some level. You know, People are already throwing around the trade stuff as a reason for this. I know Quinn got a question from Warren Williams that was a reasonable question after the game about like how that impacted things. Quinn never says anything about trades at all. And you know these guys are pros. And sure, could it be a mental thing where um, a lot was reported today, as I talked about on the podcast earlier today, and I'll get to later on. But even with all of that swirling around, they were, they were terrible in this game. I mean, it's worth putting out there that kind of weirdly for a team that is 14 and 20, the Hawks only have two blowout losses this year, and that includes tonight. They only, they only had one blowout loss coming into the night. They lost by 23 points in Cleveland on November 28th. 
Other than that, their largest margin of defeat this year until tonight was 11. So they've been down by 20 a few times, and they kind of climbed back in the game. But they truly had not been blown out like this all year long, and not even remotely like this since November 28th. So I guess that's a small bright side, because you know we've talked about how mad they've been in close games. Um, it takes some talent to be able to take leads in the NBA, and it takes some talent to get blowout wins for sure. But it also is a good data point that you, do, that you actually don't get blown out very much. But this game, it was as bad as it possibly could have been for the Hawks. So uh, that's kind of all I have on the top line thoughts in this game. It was, again, a two-way defeat. Obviously, the offense was not as ba- bad as the defense. But when you figure, when you sort of factor in this team's strikes and weaknesses, look, I don't want to say I was assuming the Hawks were going to give up 150 to the Pacers, but I would have told you coming into the night that if the Hawks didn't play well on offense, they weren't going to win on the road in Indiana. That's a very simple point, but the Hawks defensively are not good. And the Pacers offensively are very good. But the problem was, the Pacers are, are, I believe, third worst in the NBA right now in defensive rating. And the Hawks could not score for the first quarter and a half of this game. And at no point in this game were the Hawks flying high at their usual performance on offense. And yeah, their shot quality was better than the numbers indicate in this game. I will certainly agree to that as a premise. But other than Murray making some shots, no one else had anything going. And uh, it was truly an awful performance. Again, it's it's one of 82. I will always say that, like, I'm not the guy that's going to come on here and yell and scream about one performance very often. This was as bad as it gets in a lot of ways, but it is one game, and I don't want to overreact to it. And again, they just they just won two in a row. I know Friday's game, sorry, Wednesday's game against OKC was kind of an up and down roller coaster, but they won the game. So, like, it could be worse, but certainly a bad performance all the way around from the Hawks. I think that was uh, sort of the vibe after the game as well. Quinn was not particularly happy. Basically talking about the fact that they didn't do anything well, and yeah, that's kind of where I'll leave it. They did nothing well in this game, and the result was a butt-whooping up in Indiana. All right, we'll have more on this game coming up, as well as some more trade stuff at the very end of the podcast, but first, a word from our sponsors on the show today. Today's show is brought to you by LinkedIn Jobs. At the start of the new year, every small business owner is asking themselves the same question. What is one more move that I can make that I'm taking my business to the next level in 2024? LinkedIn Jobs know that your success all depends on the team that surrounds yourself with. And that's why LinkedIn Jobs has created the tools to help you find the right professionals for your team. They do it faster and they do it for free. I've used LinkedIn Jobs numerous times in my day job. And I've had great success finding the right candidates and doing it quickly as well. It's not just another job board at LinkedIn. In fact, LinkedIn has a vast network of more than a billion professionals, which makes it very easy and the best place to hire people. Hiring is easy when you have that many qualified candidates. And so easy, in fact, 86% of the small business businesses that check out LinkedIn Jobs get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Achieving goals in the new year is huge for all of us, and that includes me. And finding the right team members to, can be really incredibly important to accomplish all of what you're trying to accomplish this year. Small businesses can rate LinkedIn Jobs number one as well when delivering quality hires against leading competitors. And LinkedIn also knows that small businesses are wearing so many hats, and they may not have time to actually find the places and the resources to hire people effectively. And thankfully, with LinkedIn, the process is intuitive, it's quick, and it's easy. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash LockedOnNBA. That is linkedin.com slash LockedOnNBA to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Around New Year's, we sometimes get obsessed with actually how to change ourselves instead of just expanding on what we're already doing right in our lives. Maybe you can finally organize that one part of your space, but you actually want to tackle another. And maybe you're also taking supplements every morning, and now you actually want to eat breakfast as well. Therapy can help you find your strengths, and so you can ditch the extreme resolutions and sometimes make those changes really stick. And therapy can really be something to look forward to, something to make you feel grounded, even give you the tools to manage everything going on in your life. And if you're thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient 
convenient, it's flexible, and it's suited to your schedule. All you have to do is fill out a brief questionnaire, and they will match you with the licensed therapist. Right now, if you ever want to change therapists, you can also do so at any time for no additional cost, and they make everything easy for you at BetterHelp. Celebrate the progress you've already made with the folks at BetterHelp, and the place to go is BetterHelp.com slash LockedOnNBA today to get 10% off your first month with BetterHelp. That is BetterHelp.com slash LockedOnNBA. One more time, BetterHelp. That's BetterHelp.com slash LockedOnNBA. All right, and this might be a shorter breakdown than usual in this middle segment of the podcast, sort of the nuts and bolts of this one. Ironically, the Hawks made their first two shots of the game. They were two of two from three. It was DeJounte and it was Jalen, back-to-back threes. And then after that, the Hawks went four of their next 21 from the field at the outset. And that led to, at least in part, a 25-7 run from the Pacers to go from Hawks up two to Hawks down 15 by the middle of the quarter. They, they just couldn't score. And again, I don't want to put all of it on the offense. It was mostly the defense in this game. But, you know, Trey had a terrible turnover in the backcourt against C.J. McConnell. It led to a three. They just couldn't make a shot. Uh, it was rough. They showed 20% in the first quarter of this contest. Um, only two turnovers before the second quarter. That was uh, actually it would have been worse if they hadn't done that. But it was a, kind of a two-way failure at the outset, and they were down by 14 at the end of the first. Um, rotationally, everyone that was active other than Patty Mills and Wes Matthews, who kind of got the veteran you guys will have to check in the game at the end of the game. Um, everybody played, but the actual rotation was nine guys in this game. It was, of course, Bogey and Okongwu, and it was Garrison Matthews and Trent Forrest, the same nine that played, for the most part, on Wednesday. Trent was kind of out there to shadow Tyrese Halliburton. He came in briefly in the first quarter, and then came out when Halliburton sat, and then came back in when Halliburton came back in, which made sense. Did, did it matter? No. But Trent is their best defender on Halliburton in my mind, so that was a good sort of strategy point there. Um... Trey Young had a nightmare start, as I sort of referenced earlier, alongside Bogey and Bay. Trey was really bad by Trey standards in this game. Uh, he was over his first seven, missed a free throw in the first 12 minutes, had a couple of bad turnovers, just didn't have anything. It wasn't just missed shots, just no juice from Trey in this game at all. And I said this earlier, kind of, but flatly, it was one of the worst, like, 14, 15-minute performances of the season from the Hawks on offense at the outset of the game. They were 8 of 31 from the field to begin the game against a bad defense. Again, the Pacers are bad. Like, actually bad defensively. And the Hawks were 8 of 31. And I said it once earlier, but they they didn't necessarily get a ton of bad shots. Like, there were some, for sure, as there always are. The shot quality was better than 8 of 31 would suggest, but that dug the hole in this game. They did find it a little bit later on in the second quarter. DeJounte had 13 points on his first eight shots. Um, but in some second chance points, I know Capella had one nice um, back uh, sort of putback over Miles Turner. But defensively, it was dour the, sorry, dire the entire first first half of this game. They were down 24 at the half. It was deeply horrendous. Um, Bogey and Trey were 3 of 18 from the floor. DeJounte had 17 at halftime, uh, but that was kind of it. It was shot quality was fine, but other than that, defensively, um, the Pacers had 22 assists and 71% shooting. They made, their, they made their last nine shots, and then, as I said, sort of teased before, they made their first six shots in the second half. So they made 15 consecutive shots. And I believe the way that Bob Rathman said on the broadcast was like, teams don't do that in an open gym. And that's right. Like, how many times do you see an NBA team make 15 straight shots? And yeah, they were really good looks in a lot of them. But still. Uh, <laughs> so the Hawks have a 13-5 to run. They were down 32 points with nine minutes to go in the third quarter. So it was over right then. It's over. I mean, it was probably over at halftime. But when they came out of the gate, yeah, down 24 against the Pacers is not like insurmountable. But within the first five minutes of the third quarter, we all knew it was over. Um the Pacers had 100 points with six and a half minutes to go in the third, which says it all. They were down by 38 points. I think the moment that actually broke my guy, Bob Rathman, on, on the air was that Miles Turner 
banked in a three at the top of the key, um, not intentionally. And look, when it rains, it pours. It was already over at that point, but that was kind of one of those hilarious shots. Um, another point I wanted to make, not necessarily the most important thing in the world, but I said this in real time, I would have sat Trey, DeJounte, Bogey, Jalen, and, and Capella for the whole fourth quarter. Like Those are the five guys. Um, obviously, those are their best players, but also in particular with, with Bogey and Capella, those are their older, more established, um, lots of miles players. Um, I don't know why they played in the fourth quarter, to be honest. And Quinn didn't really give an answer on that post game. I said that in real time. Quinn actually played those guys a lot in the fourth quarter. Trey, Mo- Trey Murray and Bogey started the fourth quarter together. They brought Jalen after that. Jalen actually played some center in the fourth quarter, which is a little bit weird. Um, Bogey in particular was the guy that I might take off, take off the floor first. He's not their best player, but he's the guy who has the documented injury history. Like, I don't know why he actually hit his head really hard um, during that run, and that would have been a weird, costly thing if that's something that happened there. And it wasn't like Indiana was still playing their guys. That's what made it even more strange. Like Sometimes coaches will wait till the other team who is winning pulls the guns a little bit or the other way around. But the Pacers had their third team in by then. So I suspect Quinn was trying to send a message of some kind, like, hey, you guys dug this grave, basically. Now, he didn't say that. But, like, what other reason would there be? I don't really know. Finally, they cleared the bench with, like, seven minutes to go. They went to a full bench lineup that included A.J. Griffin for his first minutes since December 11th. A.J. only played one game in the last, like, six weeks. Um, he made a three. Uh, Seth Lundy played uh, seven minutes in, uh, in garbage time. Bruno came in, etc. But, you know, I'm not going to sort of analyze that end stretch really at all. It was total and utter garbage time with a 30-point game. A.J. didn't look great necessarily, um, defensively in particular. He did make a shot. But, you know, what else are you going to say? It was long over at that point in time, so uh, we'll kind of leave it there for now. I'll say this one more time. Big picture, it's one game, but 150-116. to 116. And they were underdogs. The Pacers are pretty good. They're not great, but they're pretty good. But, oof, they're going to have uh, some work to do in sort of getting up for Sunday's game against Orlando because uh, if this kind of lingers, you kind of get into some dire territory. So, all right, we'll leave it there for now. We'll have more on the player stuff and then also the trade addendum stuff at the end of the podcast. But first, a word from our sponsors on the show. Today's show is brought to you by Hunger Roots. Are you trying to eat healthier this year? I know that I am. Hunger Roots is up here to help you by making meal planning easy and nutritious. With Hunger Root, you can also build habits around eating healthy that will not disappear by the month of February. They also have support for gluten-free, vegan, vegetarian, dairy-free, low-carb options, and much more. Hunger Root customers also save money on groceries because when you eat out less, you save money and save time. Hunger Root is also the easiest way to get high quality fresh food delivered to your door and they have they have healthy groceries and simple recipes all in one place take a quiz at hunger they also get to know you your goals how you like to eat by getting the flavors that you like the appliances you use and much more and then to keep those needs and preferences top of mind start building out your carts with delicious recipes and really all your grocery needs for the entire week. They also recommend recipes and groceries based on all of your tastes. They have suggestions, of course, and then you can also choose what you want to, from fresh produce to high-quality meat and seafood, healthy snacks, and much more. They go beyond your weekly grocery haul with thousands of easy recipes at Hunger Root. Actually put your groceries to use before they get forgotten in the back of the fridge. And the best part at Hunger Root is that they follow a simple standard. It has to taste good, be easy to make, be quick to make, and also contain whole, trusted ingredients. Spend less time meal planning, shopping, and cooking, and more time enjoying healthy food right now actually love with the folks at Hunger Roots. And right now, Hunger Root is offering lots of hot sisters 40% off your first delivery and free veggies for life. Go to HungerRoot.com slash LockedOn to get 40% off your first delivery and get your free veggies. One more time, that is HungerRoot.com slash LockedOn. Do not forget to use that promo code link and they know that we will send you to Hunger Root. One more time, it's HungerRoot.com slash LockedOn. 
The NBA playoffs are right around the corner, and Locked On NBA is here daily to keep you caught up with all the late season drama. Every Monday, Jackson Gatlin rounds up the three biggest stories around the league, helping to break down the NBA playoffs. Mark your calendars to listen to Locked On NBA every Monday to be up to date. Locked On NBA, available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. All right, let us fly through the players because essentially no one other than kind of Murray played well in this game. Um, Off the bench, the guys who played very little were Lundy, Griffin, and Fernando. They all scored. Lundy and Fernando hit threes. Uh, although AJ had two turnovers and didn't move well defensively, I didn't think, but it's garbage time. Uh, Bruno had six points. There you go. Uh, Garrison Matthews was two or three from the floor, had two assists. I thought he was actually okay in this game. Not like a lot of it was put on him. Trent Forrest, same thing. He was fine. Um, six points on four shots, two assists, two rebounds, had a steal. I thought Trent looked okay. There you go. Uh, Bogey had a bad night shooting-wise. Got to the line ten times, so he was, he was still like trying to push... Ended up having 16 points to be second on the team, but he was 2 of 5 on twos and 1 of 9 on threes. Um, three assists, two steals, three turnovers. Bogey, not his best night by any means. Akongo was pretty quiet. I thought he was like not disastrous, but not very good either. Three points, six rebounds, and a block in 21 minutes for Akongo. Only took one shot from the field. Sadiq Bey, um, kind of just out there, didn't really do much of anything in this one. Nine points. Defensively, it was a mess. The Pacers had 22 points off, off of cuts, and I think that Sadiq and DeJounte were like the two number one culprits on that defensively, and Sadiq was not good overall. Uh, Jalen had some flashes. He had 12 points, 8 rebounds. First half better than the second half. He's kind of the only guy other than DeJounte in the first half doing anything. But um, he defensively was not his best effort, and then offensively he cooled off like a lot of guys did. Capella was pretty bad in this game. 9.7 rebounds in 19 minutes. Um, didn't start the game well. Had a better stretch in the second quarter, but um, that's a low bar. He was not good in this one, as most guys weren't. Trey, 13 points on 18 shots. Just his worst shooting night of the season, I think, at least since the opener against Charlotte, where he had a bad game. But he was 3 of 7 on twos, 1 of 11 from 3. That's a line five times, six assists, just no juice at all. I thought Trey, like, he was just openly bad in this one. And look, that's going to happen. Trey just came off the stretch where he was incredible. Like, I saw people kind of making jokes about <laughs> you know, Trey being untouchable after today. Like, obviously it was bad in this game, but Trey's been playing fantastically for quite some time. So uh, it's going to happen. You have one bad, one bad game, but uh, it was bad. It was badly timed on that level. And then DeJounte had 30 points. Uh, he was efficient too. He was 11 of 16 on twos, two of three on threes. Uh, so I don't think he was quite as good as 30 points indicate, but like he was the only bright spot on offense. I mean, I'm not even going to pick, pick that apart. Like he was the only guy that did anything on offense in the whole game. Uh, for a while, I think even into the third quarter, he actually had literally zeros across the board other than scoring, which was kind of funny. Like, I don't think he did much of anything else other than score. But again, he was the only guy scoring. So what are you going to do? Uh, we'll leave it there for now. Not a lot of positives. Not a huge surprise given the score in this contest. Finally, at the end of the show, some trade stuff. So one more time, I would encourage you to listen to the 22, 23, 24-minute podcast I did on Friday afternoon for all the details on what Jake Fisher reported etc. There's lots to get to on DeJounte and Pascal Siakam and the Hawks as sellers. All that stuff is in that podcast and listen to it, please. One big thing, though, to add that dropped after I recorded that podcast. It was in a Bleacher Report video, actually, not a written piece, but a video from Chris Haynes, who's a, of course, national insider. Um, Chris reported, I'm going to quote him here directly, that there is, quote, ample interest around the league in DeJounte Murray. So no surprise there. He, he mentioned the Sixers as a team, although that's not like the easiest team to line up, but he threw them out there along with the Lakers, Knicks, etc. 
But the headliner is, I'm quoting here from Chris Haynes on video, quote, I do believe DeJounte Murray will likely be traded by the deadline. That's my belief, end quote from Chris Haynes. So to be clear, him saying likely does not mean definitely, but that is a very notable report from someone who's very plugged in. Chris Haynes um, may not be Woj, but certainly has broken lots of stories, is very plugged in. Um, and for him to say that pretty plainly that he believes Murray's going to get traded or is likely to be traded before the deadline, that's an eyebrow raiser. And uh, certainly keep that in mind. That's a headliner on some respects. Um, Mark Stein, who actually does a podcast with Chris Haynes, but this is actually a written piece from Mark, had it the Hawks are, quote, actively exploring all DeJounte Murray trade possibilities, end quote. And obviously the temperature is rising on the Murray stuff. Everything I said on the bonus podcast still applies from earlier today. But even in the last few hours since then, the likelihood of a Murray trade in my mind and in my reporting, what I can gather behind the scenes, has gone up a, per, a few percentage points at least. Between the Haynes reporting, between what Stein said, between what I've heard offline that I can't always pass along in full on this podcast, um, I'm starting to lean in that direction too. Again, I'm not going to say it's definitive by any means, but uh, every piece of intel that I'm getting is more and more in the likely to move DeJounte category, not only just what Chris, what Chris reported. Look, I stressed this earlier, it's still a month of the deadline, a lot can change. Murray can't even be traded until next week because of the six-month break between his extension and when he can be traded. But um, all these leaks coming out in a short period of time means that A, the Hawks are certainly putting him out there, and B, I said this a little bit too on the, on the previous show, but I'll say it again, I think Murray's side also wants it out there. I think that DeJounte, I'm not going to say he wants out actively, but there's lots of buzz. Like I think that if you put two and two together, it doesn't seem like he's be he, he would be terribly broken up about being traded either. So we'll see. And uh, that's the Murray side. One more thing from Mark Stein. He reported that the Hawks are, quote, determined to, as one source described it, build around Trey Young and Jalen Johnson going forward under Quinn Snyder. Not a huge surprise there, nor is it different than what I said earlier today about those guys being kind of the only guys off limits in trades for the Hawks. But that's pretty explicit from Mark Stein, who, again, is a great reporter. And also in the way that I would interpret it, it sounds kind of future-facing when you're talking about building around, and that's more like, again, future-facing than terribly focused and concerned on what's going on today, which I does I do think makes sense. Their Hawks are 14 and 20. Like, I think that the future does make more sense, and I got into this more in depth on the previous show where we talked only about this, but it does make sense to kind of, you're not throwing away the season, nor are you tanking right now, nor are you rebuilding any of that stuff. But if you ask me what's a bigger priority for this team right now, if I'm if I'm in charge of it, I'd be looking at next year and the year after much more than this year because they're 14 and 20. And even if they get it together this year, which is still very possible, get it together means make the playoffs and probably lose in the first round, maybe make the second round. Like that's there's something to that that'd be very helpful. But a uh, big picture, uh, building around Trey and Jalen does make sense to me on some level. Like those are uh, for me, even though. I think that DeJounte is still a, a tier or two higher than Jalen on like the established player rankings around the league. Ask me in two, like Jalen Johnson is a better long-term asset than DeJounte Murray. No question about that in my mind. Um, plus Trey is the guy. So building around those two guys does make sense. And if that means that taking a, a half step back and retooling, and I'm certainly, uh, cer- I, I would understand that at the very least. All right, we'll have more on that. I'm sure we have a month of the deadline, a lot going on here. And one more time for that plug, listen to that podcast that I dropped earlier today and tell a friend about the show as well. From here, the Hawks play on Sunday night in Orlando. Actually, an earlier game. It's a 6 o'clock game down in Orlando. A rematch of a one-point game that the Hawks won back in Mexico City in November against the Magic. 
Um, the Magic are pretty good. That's worth noting. The Magic are better than the Hawks this year so far. They're 19 and 15. Five game lead on Atlanta right now in the standings. Uh, more of a defense focused team is Orlando. The Hawks are, of course, more offense focused. So a much different matchup in a lot of ways than it was tonight against Indiana, but uh, certainly one to watch in between now and the game on Sunday. Um, and yeah, with all that said, please subscribe to this podcast. Rate the podcast on your favorite po- podcast platform of choice. Reviews are always appreciated as well. If you are an audio-only subscriber to the show to the show on Apple, Spotify, Overcast, etc., you will also get some bonus content from the folks at Locked On Sports Atlanta in the audio-only feed, so that might be coming up even tonight. I know there was a show on Wednesday. Just extra content there, nothing less from me at all, but just some bonus content if you are on the YouTube side, and we certainly encourage you to check us out there as well. It's just me on that show, but alas, here we are. Subscribe, follow the show on social media. Mostly on Twitter at Lothon Hawks or at BT Roller for my personal feed. Also, patreon.com slash BT Roller for the written side on the Hawks front. And uh, yeah, a miserable game. I will certainly be uh, the first to say that. If you're a diehard making it into the podcast, I definitely appreciate that as well. Help us to spread the word about the podcast. It's the biggest thing you can possibly do to support this show is to tell a friend or two or three about it. Thank you so much for that. Enjoy your weekend, and we'll see you after the game on Sunday. Hey, Prime members. You can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.